I was a junior in college and I had interned in Los Angeles at some entertainment companies, but I was looking to try and do something a little bit different and I decided to apply to the Google internships. The application was pretty straightforward. I supplied cover letter, resume, answered some questions. They had some like fun, quirky questions like, if you were an animal, what would you be, etc. And a few weeks later, I heard back over email from one of the recruiters that I had made it to the interview round. Hi everybody, my name is Shauna and this is the American English Podcast. My goal here is to teach you the English spoken in the United States. Through common expressions, pronunciation tips, and interesting cultural snippets or stories, I hope to keep this fun, useful, and interesting. Let's do it. Hello and welcome back. In that intro, you heard Megan Kerr, an American YouTuber and employee at BuzzFeed, talk about how she got an internship at Google. In this episode, we'll talk about how to do an internship in the United States as a foreigner. Yep, I'll talk about the eligibility, the visa process, and everything you need to know. So stay tuned. Until then, let's begin this episode with a joke, a new expression, and some pronunciation. So the joke, here we go. What do you call a man with no arms and no legs in front of your door? Any ideas? The answer is mat, right? So a mat is something that you usually step on to wipe your feet in front of your front door or maybe in your backyard. And mat is also a very popular name in the United States, uh, the short form of Matthew. So what do you call a man with no arms and no legs in front of your door? Mat. Interesting. The reason why I chose this is because the expression of the day is walk all over you. To walk all over someone means to treat someone in a very bad way, almost disregarding their emotions, usually to get something from them. In many circumstances, to walk all over means to take advantage of. So someone may see how nice you are and then they walk all over you. They take advantage of you. The individual words in this expression are walk, all, over, and you. Let's go through each of them one by one. Walk. Walk means to move at a normal pace or speed, setting your feet down one after the other in order to travel from one location to another. Some synonyms of walk are amble, stroll, Actually, they can be a little bit different. Uh, Stroll might be a little bit more casual. All refers to the group or the whole. We use all when we're talking about uncountable objects. For example, I want all of the milk, not just some, as opposed to whole, which we use with countable objects. I want the whole bottle of milk, not just some of it, right? Over. Over is the opposite of under, or over can also mean at a higher level. So the bridge is over the water. The water is under the bridge. The last word is you, and you is a pronoun, and it's the person to whom you are likely speaking. For example, I love you. 
you, right? Don't love me. I love you. Um, so the origin of this expression, I'm not so sure of, but actually, if you think about it, imagine someone walking all over you. It probably would be a very uncomfortable feeling, very low to the ground, being smashed on the ground. It would not be a pleasurable experience. And you can just imagine really someone's treating you very badly if they're walking all over you. So it's kind of intuitive, but um, I'm going to go ahead and give you some extra examples of how to use this expression. Example number one, finally, after weeks of anticipation, I started a new job in New York City. On the first day, I was asked to get coffee for all of my coworkers. Of course, I thought, I can do that. Within the next month, my boss had me doing a ton of grunt work. Grunt work are these tasks like copying papers, filing papers, sending off FedEx packages, and answering my coworkers' emails and phone calls. My friends say I shouldn't let my boss walk all over me. But how? Example number two. Imagine you've decided to work as an au pair for a rich family. An au pair is a nanny, someone who takes care of someone else's children. As an au pair for this rich family, you have a few responsibilities to pick the kids up from school and take them to the park and play with them until dinner time. However, after a few weeks, the mother of these children begins to ask you to work late for no pay. She asks you to do her laundry and to cook all of her meals as well as the children's. She's walking all over you. In other words, she's taking advantage of you. You need to speak up for yourself. Number three, imagine you're a student and you are required to do a group presentation on World War II. You've always liked learning about World War II and so you offer to do some initial research. Everyone else in the group sees how organized you are and asks you if you would be willing to facilitate a plan for the presentation. They ask you to write up your notes and make copies of them. And then on the day of the presentation, your classmates ask you to present. In the end, you're very annoyed. You did almost everything. Your group saw how nice you were and they walked all over you. They took advantage of you. Let's go through some listen and repeat exercises now with the statement, she walked all over me. Repeat after me, she. She walked. She walked all. She walked all over. She walked all over me. 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 Okay, so you can hear that ED ending next to an A, right? K at the end of walk is what we call a voiceless sound. In other words, your voice box does not vibrate when you create the K sound. K, k, k. It's just in your mouth. And so the ED has a T ending. Walked. Walked. Not walked. Right? And so when it falls next to A in all, walked all, we connect those. She walked all. 
She walked all over me. Connect them as closely as you possibly can. Let's take a minute to conjugate. Remember to use the same pronunciation tips in the conjugations. I walked all over him. She walked all over him. He walked all over him. We walked all over him. They walked all over him. It walked all over him. All right, so now to the American fact of the day. On a yearly basis, over 300,000 exchange visitors come to the United States from over 200 different countries. What does that even mean? <laughs> exchange visitor, that can refer to anyone coming into the United States on a J-1 visa which is a non-immigrant visa, right? So that can be an au pair, I mentioned before, teacher, a research assistant, short-term students, university students, interns, trainees. In fact, there are 17 different categories and it's worth taking a look at if you go to the Department of State website. Having spent two years in a company processing J-1 visas specifically for foreigners coming to the United States on internships and traineeships, I feel very comfortable talking about this topic, and that's why I would like to share with you why and how this program is set up the way it is. I also would like to help you decide whether or not you can do it. So just a disclaimer, I don't work for the Department of State nor a J-1 visa sponsor any longer. The information I'm providing is based on my own experience and the updated information I've read on the Department of State's website. So this information is also available for you. So from the Department of State's perspective, this J-1 visa program, that's what they call it, is a cultural exchange program. And it was created in the 1960s by John F. Kennedy in an attempt to improve foreign policy. So from their perspective, they're thinking, okay, we're going to get a lot of internationals, a lot of foreigners to come to the United States, have wonderful cultural experiences, and then we'll send them back home to their home countries. And then they'll have all of these great experiences that they'll want to talk about with their friends. So many people will have an improved impression of the United States. So with that said, it is a cultural exchange. Your host company will be required to have cultural activities with you. The program over the years has grown tremendously. Just in 2017 alone, the U.S. hosted over 26,000 interns and there were over 10,000 trainees. That's almost 40,000 people. So how in the world would they regulate this many people? They hire these other companies, these third parties who make sure that all of the participants, all, all of you know exactly what you need to know at a given point in time. A J-1 visa sponsor is required if you are doing an internship or traineeship in the U.S. 
and they will help you fill out your application fully, determine your eligibility, and help your host company, say for example, Google or Amazon or wherever you're going, create a complete training plan. So they want to be sure that your company doesn't walk all over you. Right. So as I mentioned, I worked for a company or a J1 visa sponsor that brought in interns and trainees. So what is the difference between an intern and a trainee? Well, in terms of the work you do, it might not be very much. But for the government of the United States, a person who is a university student or a recent graduate within one year of graduating is classified as an intern. As an intern, you can stay in the United States for up to 12 months. A trainee, on the other hand, has graduated with a degree and has been in the workforce for a year. Or perhaps maybe it's someone who didn't go to college, but they've had five years of work experience. Great. So you're probably thinking, all right, so I would be an intern because I'm a university student. So how do I get an internship or a traineeship? In short, you need to do it on your own. So you first apply for an internship and then that company will tell you who your visa sponsor is. If they don't have one, you can work with your company to find a visa sponsor. There's all of them listed on the Department of State website. I had to interview over 2,000 people who came to the United States to work at big companies such as Google, Amazon, Pinterest, Marc Jacobs, etc. And my interviews were simply to test English levels, not something you need to worry about. The test is very simple. I just ask you about your life, where you're from, and kind of your interest in coming into the United States. My first question was always, how did you get this internship at and then your company name. The most common answers were, number one, I met someone who had done an internship there before, and they gave me their contact person, who is the maybe the hirer, the recruiter for that company. Yeah, going directly to the source. <laughs> number two, oh, I met a representative at a career fair. So career fairs are actually helpful, it seems. You know, talking to the people who are working at them, getting their contact information and following up. Number three, and this one's a little bit kind of funny to talk about. My mom or dad or aunt or uncle knew someone. So we call this nepotism. I hate to admit it, but it does exist according to um, a lot of the people I spoke to. Uh, number four, Co-op programs with existing relationships in the U.S. So a co-op program is a program where people study part-time and they do internships for the other part of time. So a really popular one is uh, one at the University of Waterloo in Canada. And I know for a fact their co-op program facilitates the process to coming into the United States. Number five... My company in France has an office in the U.S. and I asked if I could go there, right? So if there is a headquarters of a specific company in your country, then of course it's easy to convince the company in the U.S. why it would be smart to have you as an exchange visitor. So what about applying online the normal way? Yes, there were some people that applied online and went through the regular process, but I have to say not as many as I would have expected. 
And the people that did get jobs that way, I mean, they were really extra special people. Now, I received this one application from the student who got an internship at Google, and it was a 16-page document, and it included all of his inventions. You know, if you're a very special person and you create a very special application, then why not? Make yourself stand out. Um, just so you know, as a rule of thumb, a resume in the United States is a max of two pages. It really should be the very most important information about you, right? So I've never applied at any of these companies. I just saw the people that got into them. So my advice to you is to find a way to talk to someone in the company. Find people on Facebook who have done internships there before. Uh, we also do something called informational interviews in the U.S. This is where you find someone who works at a company you're interested in, contact them, and tell them that you think that maybe someday you would want to work in a similar position as them and just ask if you can ask them about their job, right? So you can do this in a way where it's not pushy, in a way where it makes someone feel good about themselves, where they would want to talk to you. Another thing, just find companies that have headquarters in your country, and chances are they have an established internship program already. All right, so that's really it. There are some other crazy details. Of course, I could speak forever about this. Um, like, ooh, can I come right back to the United States afterwards and work as a full-time employee? Technically, you're not supposed to. This is one of the things that we're checking during the application process. We don't like to hear that you want to stay in the United States. And actually, a red flag is put on your application if you do indicate that you want to stay because the whole idea of the cultural exchange is that you go home afterwards and share your experience with all the other people in your home country. So it's tricky. Um, obviously, if you're Google and you have a great intern from a specific country, you send them back home, maybe they complete their last year of college, and then you go, mm, we would love to have them back. There's nobody regulating interns coming back a year after you graduate. Each case is going to be different, but of course, um, it's good to know that these internships and traineeships actually exist, that it might be a possibility. You don't need to always <laughs> marry someone or get someone pregnant or, you know, do other crazy things in order to stay in the U.S. There are other options. And um, yeah, of course, You'll have to return back home afterwards, but it's a great Thank time for to listening gain to some this episode of the American English fun. Podcast. So that's it. Remember, enjoyed. it's my goal here to not only help you improve your listening comprehension, but to show you how to speak like someone from the States. If you want to receive the full transcript for this episode, or you just want to support this podcast, make sure to sign up to premium content on AmericanEnglishPodcast.com. Thanks and hope to see you soon.